Now, some of you are wondering, well, why, why didn't we stand and greet one another? Well, it's because I'm preaching on hospitality. <laughs> and we're going to save that for the end of the service. And what that means is I'm going to try and land the plane just a little bit earlier to give you a little more time to really be present with one another and to extend the right hand of fellowship in the name of Christ, especially recognizing those who stood just a few minutes ago. Hospitality is a word that we're going to focus on this morning as it comes to us in the middle of this section in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. I wonder even as I mention that, what's going on in your minds? For some, maybe men, and I don't mean to be stereotyping this, but you're thinking, okay, this is a sermon for women. Not so much for me. That's not at all true. Women, likely you might be thinking the same thing, but for you, you begin to feel pressure. What am I going to hear today that's going to challenge the way my house looks or what I'm supposed to do with these things? I promise you the Lord has a word for us that's really powerful as it relates to this incredible extension of his hospitality to us. So let's see what Peter has to say from 1 Peter 4. Let's stand. I'll begin in verse 7, read through 11, but I'm going to be focusing on verse 9. Peter writes, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory, or belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we stand on the authority of your holy word. We know your Holy Spirit must illuminate the words that are presented to us, and he must illuminate what is happening in our hearts and minds especially as we think about giving so much because of what you've given for us and to us. Lord, open our eyes and our ears. Uncloud the confusing thoughts. Remove things that are distracting us. Whatever's making us anxious or bored or discontent. And let us be present to hear your word preached. God, be with us and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many people this weekend have already started their, their summer travel. Um, we'll be leaving on Wednesday for a little time of vacation. We'll actually be only about 20 or 30 minutes from the high school kids in Florida. Uh, my oldest three will be on that trip. The two little ones will be with us. And it just reminds me every time of what it was like growing up. Some of you won't remember this, but or didn't experience this, but those who did will remember it, and that is how different travel is today. For example, when we got in the car, and I'm one of five children, so the same number I have, we didn't have a station wagon. Oh, I wanted one, but we just had a normal Chevy, seven kids, or five kids, two adults, no seat belts, nothing really to protect us. Child car seats didn't exist. If they did, my parents didn't think they were important. We would set off for a little road trip. And it always went the same way. Lots of joy, lots of energy. And then there would be a fight. Pretty early in the trip. 
between the kids, who's sitting where, and then eventually a fight between the parents. Usually that was near the end of the day when my dad would be exhausted. He would have gotten lost. He wouldn't look at the map. My mom had folded out all over the dashboard. Eventually they'd work it out and we'd end up in some city along the way, wherever we were going, and we'd begin to look for a hotel. Remember, we didn't do reservations. You didn't call ahead. You just drove until you saw a hotel or a series of hotels that had a sign on the front that said, vacancy. When each of us were old enough to read and look, we would do that and we would see one. Kids were looking for the sign, but really they're looking for one thing. What is that? The pool. And the pool was always right in front. And that's all the kids cared about. And then my dad would pull into one, he would go in, he would come out and we would drive away. Why? Because it was too expensive. Go to the next hotel and the next and the next, and then return back to the very first one we went to and unload the car and get in the pool. That's the way it worked. Vacancy, no vacancy. Today, we don't travel like that. Reservations are made most of the time. We'll stop in Jackson, Mississippi. My reservations are made. I know what the pool looks like. I've stayed at that hotel. I'm comfortable with my surroundings. That's the way it works now. Vacancy, no vacancy. Hospitality really is centered on that idea. But when we think of hospitality, we tend to think differently than what the people who first heard this letter read would have thought. When we think of hospitality, what comes to our minds is very different. What comes to our minds is probably the picture of, of the interior of our home. What does it look like? Is it nice enough? Could it make the cover of Southern Living Magazine? Am I a good enough cook? Can I really provide what guests would need? We are tempted to move quickly towards the idea of entertainment. That's not hospitality. When they would have heard the word hospitable or hospitality, they had a different mindset. It wasn't ornate, it was urgent. It wasn't about impressing the guest, it was about rescuing the guest. Because travel in those days was dangerous. Hotels existed, but they were primarily places where a lot of immoral activity took place. And so they would travel looking for a place of safety to rest. While we begin to think often about where will this group of people or even this individual fit into our four plus bedroom home, they only had four walls. And they were ready and willing and eager to say, come in, you're welcome. There is a vacancy, you can be with us. And that's exactly what Peter was calling them to. And it's actually, and this is what's so amazing about the word of God, the very same thing he's calling us to. What's really interesting about the verse we're gonna look at is that there is no verb. And though it's translated uh, very clearly, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There is no verb there. And the reason that's important is because be hospitable or show hospitality is not the verb, it's the extension of the verb that came before in the previous verse, and that is to love. And if you remember two weeks ago when I unpacked that verse, the word love is agape, and the word earnestly means to stretch. And so what Peter is saying to those young Christians in this young church is, 
Your love needs to manifest itself. It needs to stretch itself in this way where you are being hospitable people. The word hospitable literally means love of strangers. So this isn't the idea that, well, I like that group of people who are coming, so I'll let them in. This is strangers have come. They knock on our door. They need a place to stay uninvited, unannounced, and we say no matter what time of day or night, welcome, come. That's the hospitality we're talking about. The way I want to approach it is I want to talk about first preparing to be hospitable like this. Second, I want to talk about what does it mean to practice this kind of hospitality. I want to talk about the benefits of hospitality. And lastly, I want to share with you in a very practical way where opportunities for hospitality exist right here in our church. So first, let's talk about preparing to be hospitable. The way I think we have to begin is with the heart, but then we also have to talk about the mind and the body. Hospitality, this type of hospitality, the kind of hospitality where you're loving a stranger has to begin in the heart. And it has to begin with a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. And if you would say today that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you might even use the phrase that I asked Jesus into my heart when I was 13 or 19 or 25. That means that your heart literally changed. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what's that, what that means is we didn't have a heart that was sick. We had a heart that wouldn't beat for God. And then God, by his grace, actually by his own hospitality, caused our heart to beat. Jesus says in Revelation 3, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. After he says, he knocks on the door. It's this image of a heart that's being transformed. A heart that longs to be in the presence of Christ who, as we've said already, has ascended into heaven, is living to intercede for us. And one day we're going to be with him in glory. But a heart also now that's occupied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is in you if you're a believer. He is the ultimate hospitable God. And that's where it begins. In order for us to begin even dream of, of stretching our love earnestly, as Peter's saying, it starts with the heart. First, do you know the Lord? If you don't, you can actually still exhibit hospitality through common grace. My father-in-law is not a believer, but whenever we make the decision to road trip all the way to Pennsylvania to stay with him, we have to ask him, is there anybody else living with you right now? Because he's so hospitable, but it's not born out of a heart transformed by the gospel. It's just born out of a common grace kindness. In some ways, he puts us who are in Christ to shame and his willingness to truly care for the stranger. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, God has occupied your heart. And as we understand what we did not deserve and what we received as a gift by his grace, our heart should swell with the opportunity to be hospitable. So it begins with the heart. I might say it this way. When you think about the sign on your heart, as it relates to whether you know Jesus or not, is it vacant? Is Christ in you? If not, 
start there. Today, he offers you salvation in his name, and there is salvation in no other name. Start there. If he's in you, keep listening, because it moves from heart to mind. What I mean by this is that we need to know what hospitality is and what it is not. And I, I do believe that most of us, when we see what Peter's saying here, we go to a place that Peter not only wasn't speaking about, but he had no idea the world would even be this way. Our understanding of hospitality usually rushes towards the idea of performance and perfection. This is a trap that we live in in this Western world and the materialism that surrounds us. Many people simply feel like I don't have the right place or the adequate place or the right gifts or adequate gifts to be hospitable compared to some. You ever felt that way? Men are clueless right now. That's a stereotype, I know, but I'm a man, I can say that. The women are, yeah, I have felt that. I know that because I'm married to one and I was born to one. And I watched what goes on in hearts and minds as they think about making their home this place of hospitality. Some immediately go, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Well, that's okay. I don't have the gift of service. So if you will let me never clean up anything ever again, I won't call on you to be hospitable. Does it make sense? We all have gifts. And some truly do have the gift of hospitality. And right now, what you're saying is, preach it. I love this. I can't wait to do something for someone in our home soon. Others of you don't feel that way. That doesn't mean you have the excuse not to be hospitable. Just like some have the gift of evangelism. And when I preach on evangelism, they say, yes, tell us more. Let's go. And others are going, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. We're all called to evangelize, even though some of the gift. So it is that way with hospitality. Our mind needs to understand what we are talking about. Hospitality is not about performance, and it's not about perfection. Unless you are a hoarder, okay, and there are people who are, unless you are living in absolute filth, unless you, you truly are in a situation where you can't have anybody over, my guess is that you have everything you need to be a person who shows hospitality to others. Everything, and probably more. But what goes on inside our hearts and minds is this comparison, this performance, this how does my spread compare to someone else's? And then we begin to think wrongly, if only I had, whether it's a gift or a possession, then I too would be hospitable. That's not the way to think. Hospitality, biblically speaking, is not about performance. It's not about perfection because it's not about seeking to impress your guest with you and your gifts, your talents, your possessions. Biblical hospitality is about two things, protection and provision. Biblical hospitality is about taking people who are in need and protecting them. That's how they would have heard this. It is about taking people who are in need of provision and saying, we are going to do our very best to care for you while you are on this journey. It is not about per performance and it's not about perfection. It is about protection and provision. 
It's not about impressing your guest with who you are, with your gifts and talents and things. It is about impressing people with the hospitality of God. That's amazing. When we think about hospitality, we shouldn't move towards entertainment. We should move towards the idea of rescue, of protection, of provision. That's the difference. And we're all called to it. So it moves from the heart and mind and being prepared, knowing what it is, to the body, actually physically doing something about it. Those who hear the truth and don't do anything about it are being disobedient. Those who hear the truth and can say lots of wonderful things about the truth but never do anything about it, they're not very deep. Oh, you might think I'm wrong because they're smart or they can quote a lot of theologians or they read ancient manuscripts in Greek and Hebrew. My friend, you're not a deep Christian till the truth exits your hands and feet. That's deep. You're not deep just because it's connected between head and heart. That's just, it's just a different level. It's deep in us when it has to come out. And when the hospitality of God so transforms our hearts and the hospitality of God so transforms our minds, it must exit. And so when opportunities are presented before us to love strangers, we welcome it. We look for it. We get excited about it as a corporate body in the doors of this church, as well as the doors of our very own homes. And so we move from preparing to be hospitable to practicing hospitality. Peter does not give a lot of direction. In fact, he only gives one negative. What did he say? He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do I need to speak about grumbling? Do, do you, show me, do you grumble ever? If you do, raise your hands. Okay, I probably need to spend a few minutes on this. The Greek language is awesome here. Because the word for grumbling really means murmuring. And even in the way in which the Greek sounds, it sounds like murmuring. What Peter is saying goes beyond just saying complaining. He is saying, don't even let your complaint about being hospitable be under your breath. In other words, he's saying, love the stranger so well who is in your midst, who you have welcomed into your place. And if they're hard to love, it's a stretch, it's agape love. If they're wearing out their welcome, it's a stretch, it's agape love. And if they're driving you crazy, and they will, especially if they're family, agape love. It's a stretch. Don't even let a murmur be in your breath. Don't grumble. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Why would he say it? Well, there's a reason the Holy Spirit laid this on Peter's heart. It's because this kind of radical hospitality is hard. It requires death to self. It requires seeing everything you have differently. If you began to do a project in your home regarding the interior, think about the timing, regardless of the scale, conversations with friends or an interior designer, decorator, the time to implement the, the thousands of paint colors and swatches. 
what would happen if you entered into all that, which I think is fun actually, but you entered with the idea of how can this help me show hospitality? It changes it. Suddenly it becomes something that's bigger than just, again, impressing people, showing them the, the beauty of what we can afford or what we have to this place belongs to God. Everything that I see around here belongs to God. Everything. That's pretty amazing. It actually begins to set you free. And when you begin to think about the ways in which you could use that for his glory and showing hospitality, it's pretty amazing. It doesn't mean you don't buy things. In fact, some of the things you might buy might be a, a story or a trigger that causes someone in your home to say, tell me about that. And as you do, you find links to ways in which you can share the gospel, to encourage them. So hospitality, as we begin to practice it, moves from this deep heart transformed by God's hospitality to a mind that understands, to a body that then acts. So what motivates? Well, let's start with the benefits of hospitality. I wanna talk about the benefits for the host, that's you, and for the guests, which might be you at some times as well. So for the host, first is this. When we are willing to live out the kind of hospitality that Peter is describing here and that the word of God describes in other places, we remember the hospitality of God. This is very important. Everything you have in Christ, you never deserved. Ever. What you continue to be blessed with in Christ, you don't deserve. It's his grace. It's his hospitality to you. The fact that he made his home in you, the fact that he has ascended into heaven where he's making a home for you, that's mind-boggling. You and I don't deserve it. Whenever we move towards this kind of radical hospitality, we remember a hospitality that's far more radical. That is God. That is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to send you, Son, to the earth. He goes in submission because he loves his Father. He makes his home in this earth that he might make a home for us forever. Whenever we open our hearts, our minds, and our homes to this kind of hospitality, we remember the hospitality of God. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is that it gives us the opportunity to have perspective on what matters most. This kind of hospitality is not about entertainment. It doesn't mean you will never entertain and that there's not hospitality in entertainment. It just means that this is far different. This is urgent, this is desperate, this is centered on protection and provision. And when we enter into this kind of hospitality, those things which matter most rise up. And we get to see the Lord move. The third benefit of hospitality is we are given the opportunity to die to self and to live for Christ. You and I don't like to die to self. If we did, we probably really wouldn't need a sermon like this, would we? But I'm gonna confess, I like my home, I like my space, I like people, but when they invade my space, when they invade my time, when they drink the last cup of coffee in the morning, it's small, isn't it? 
Maybe not if you're addicted. It requires death to self. When they stink, when they're offensive, when they're confused, when they overstay, they're welcome. Death to self is a gift. Because when we die to self, we are completely dependent on Christ who loves us and cares for us in the midst of it. The last benefit of hospitality for the host, though, is the best. Listen to this. When we offer the kind of hospitality that Peter's talking about, we live in the opportunity to be a conduit for God's hospitality. In other words, God is willing to show his hospitality through you to people who really need it. Isn't that crazy? When we make ourselves available to this kind of hospitality, we become a conduit for the Lord to move through us. Why would we ever want something to get in the way of that? Well, the answer is because we might find more satisfaction impressing other people with our gifts, our talents, or our stuff instead of introducing them and impressing them with the hospitality of God. My friends, the benefit of being this hospitable are remarkable. But the benefits aren't just for the host. They're also for the guest, for the traveler. First, the guest or the traveler, the benefit is that they experience God's hospitality. And in your home, in your yard, maybe in your car or your office, and as they do, they experience God's hospitality and protection and provision. So where do these opportunities exist in our church? As I land the plane, I want you to think about every day, every so often, and extended stays. First, every day as a believer, we have the opportunity to extend God's hospitality in our places of work, at the school lunchroom table, in a group text, in a dorm room or apartment, on our block, certainly in this church. At the beginning of my sermon in the last hour, a homeless woman got up and walked down. Everybody looked and walked back. She sat back down, and a few people sat next to her. I'm not sure she was all here, but she was here. Every day and every Sunday, we have the opportunity to extend hospitality and not. Every so often, as believers, we should have meals. We should invite people to our homes. It should be an ordinary thing, whether you can cook or not. You know, if, if you can't cook, there are places that will cook for you. <laughs> there are people who probably would cook for you. If you're embarrassed to serve it and carry out, throw it in a dish. It looks like you made it. Just don't lie 
and take claim for something that was made at Eatsy's. We should have meals frequently together. But I want to stretch us a little bit. When's the last time you invited people over that were strangers? When's the last time you met somebody on a Sunday and said, why don't we have dinner together or lunch after church? We'd love to have you all over. And when the thoughts of what's the house look like and I wonder where they come from and I wonder what they'll think about this half-finished project, let it die. Hospitality is about protection and provision. Maybe it's a person who's really lonely and they need the protection of friendship. They're gonna care less about whether your salmon is good or not. They need the provision of a relationship. You could give that. So every so often, we ought to be inviting people into our homes. Be strategic. When we think of hospitality, we, we tend to think of a landing place for people, and it is. But it might also be a launching pad. Think about what types of life and ministry might launch from your living room or your kitchen table because you, as you've prayed, have connected people who desperately need one another. So every so often, we should invite people over. Every day, we have the opportunity. But in ending, I want to talk about the hardest one. That's the extended stay. These people would show up in the time of 1 Peter, and they would need a place to stay, maybe for a night, maybe longer. And people today still have those same needs. The extended stay might be short-term, a night or a few nights, but there's also the opportunity for Christians to exhibit extreme and radical, let's put that in a positive way, hospitality. Extreme and radical hospitality like Jesus, where we actually invite people who are in need of protection and provision to live with us for an extended period of time, maybe even indefinite. The word here is not declaring this as a biblical mandate. It's declaring love as the mandate, agape love. And there are people in our city who need Christians to love that way. Might God be calling you to love that way? I don't know, but I'll tell you, it is worth the exercise, the spiritual exercise of asking God how he wants to use you, your family, your home, this church for his glory. And I imagine some of you are going to be introduced to a stranger, not somebody that's dangerous or insane or littered with all sorts of habits that would not be healthy to be in your house. There are many that don't have that kind of reputation or that reality who need a place. What would it look like if the church and churches like ours expressed that kind of extreme hospitality? So here's the opportunities. In early August, a couple dozen Chinese students are going to come here, part of the International Cultural Exchange, which our church has been involved with for 10 years. We're still looking for homes. For two weeks, they're gonna be in our midst. Two of them will stay in one home for a week, and then those same two will go live in another home for a week. We should never have trouble filling that. Pray, are you willing? We need your help there. More, 
of that is coming in November when the World Missions Conference that we're hosting along with Mission to the World is going to be right here in our city. There are going to be missionaries coming from all around the world and believers, brothers and sisters who come from churches where you might find this hard to believe, they can't afford three nights in a hotel. Would you offer a room? Would you offer a back house? Would you show hospitality? There are international students in our own backyard who need to be invited for a meal. There are seminary students and the wife is working, she's pregnant and she wouldn't have to work or their child wouldn't have to be in daycare if somebody offered that couple a place to live. Might that be something God would call you to do? Sounds romantic. It won't be. (laughs) They'll annoy you with their early mornings, want to drink coffee and talk about Greek participles. They'll drive you nuts. I was one of those, and so was my wife. She wasn't a person that drove anybody nuts, but I did. We experienced that kind of hospitality from a woman named Beverly Smith for two years. We paid nothing to live in her home and we had access to everything. What about refugees? There's people in our church right now welcoming them as they arrive at the airports and doing everything they can to be the lifeline that they need, showing them the hospitality of God. You wanna get involved? There are students, there are children, foster care is in desperate need. Where's the church? And then, lastly, what about the homeless? Again, I'm not talking about those which would be a danger, but actually those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you can be a Christian and be homeless. Are there some that just simply need a place for a season of time? What a stretch that would be, huh? It would require a miracle in your heart and mind. God does those kinds of things. He stretches our ability to love earnestly as he shows us his. So how could we ever get there? We simply repeat the hospitality that he has shown to us. We meditate on what he's done in the past, what he has done and is doing for us right now, and what he has promised to do for us in the future. The deeper that goes into our hearts, the wider that goes to the world. By his grace and for his glory, we have the ability to be a conduit of God's radical hospitality. Jesus, it's good for us to be stretched. Everyone feels that that wonder of, well, what might happen if? And Lord, you meet us there and you call us to trust you. Would you do that work which only you can do to overwhelm us with your grace and mercy? Even as we sing of your ascension and your reign, And even as we greet one another before we leave, let us sense the power of your presence 
and your hospitality in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.